The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The following program is for informational and educational purposes only. This program does not replace medical, mental health, or psychological diagnosis and treatment prescribed by your personal physician, psychologist, therapist, or other health care provider. Please consult your provider for diagnosis and care before beginning or changing any program or idea discussed. Welcome to Psych Up Live with your host, Dr. Suzanne Phillips. If you're experiencing life, and we know you are, you may have a variety of questions about relationships, family issues, personal goals, coping with the unexpected, and much more. Today, you will hear some answers from a psychological perspective, and you may just take away something that fits. Here is Dr. Suzanne Phillips. Hi, I'm Suzanne Phillips. Thank you for joining me on Psycho Live today. Have you ever knocked on wood, had a lucky shirt, purchased an object that belonged to a famous person, or worn a raincoat to ward off rain? If so, you are not alone. Listen in. Our guest is Matt. Hudson, author of The Seven Laws of Magical Thinking, How Irrational Beliefs Keep Us Happy, Healthy, and Sane. Matt Hudson is an author and science writer. He has a bachelor's degree in cognitive neuroscience from Brown University and a master's degree in science writing from MIT. He's written for The Atlantic, Wired, Newsweek, the New York Times Magazine, the Wall Street Journal, the New Yorker Online, and elsewhere. For four years, he was the news editor at Psychology Today. Matt Hudson, it is my pleasure to welcome you to Psych Up Live. Thank you for having me. Okay, so this is such an interesting topic, Matt. Let's start, maybe you could define for our listeners what is magical thinking? Sure. Um, so on a first pass, it might be easiest to think of it as just uh, belief in the supernatural. Um, I give a, a somewhat more nuanced definition in the book, which is um, attributing mental properties to non-mental phenomena or treating mental phenomena as physical. Um, so for instance, if you see the natural world as having some sort of intention or purpose or consciousness, um, then that's magical thinking. Or if you see your own thoughts as having some sort of direct substance or force on the world uh, through, through psychokinesis, for instance, then that's also magical thinking. But generally, it's sort of belief in, in the supernatural and things like luck and destiny and mind over matter and life after death. Um, and the way I use belief also, there are a couple different kinds of belief. There's sort of explicit belief, like if you say, I believe X, and then there's a more implicit belief, sort of subconscious. Um, so you might say, I don't believe 
for instance, I don't believe that knocking on wood um, does anything magical, but I still do it. it. So the fact that it has some sort of emotional power on me, um, I still feel on some level that it works. That's sort of an implicit belief. Um, so um, the definition of belief is somewhat uh, more broad in, in that way. And so I think that everyone believes in magic, even those of us like me who are skeptics and atheists, and we say that there's no God and there's no, there's no magic and things like that. There's still some part of us that implicitly believes Okay. You know, it's so funny that you say that because just yesterday someone was sort of laughing with me as they were looking for wood to knock on. So I I really think it goes with no matter what we learn or know, there's something like might as well do it better than be safe than sorry. It's kind of, you know, an an unconscious thing we carry with us. Let's look at you divide the book into uh, seven rules of magical thinking. And the first one is that objects carry essences. Mm -hmm. So what would an example of that be, Matt? So a lot of people might not even think of this as magical thinking, but once you point it out to them, they do kind of get what you're you're saying. So uh, valuing celebrity memorabilia or family heirlooms, for instance. Um, So that just seems like a perfectly natural thing. Like everyone values these things. You would want... Um, an item from your favorite rock star or, or actor or a hand-me-down from your grandmother. Um, but what is it that makes these things special? I mean, they might be, even if they are physically identical to some other item, just atom for atom, we still feel like there's something special to it. Uh, and what is that? We, we feel like there is some sort of essence that's get, that gets passed along. There's some sort of contagion involved. Um, so it's like the essence of your grandmother or of this celebrity um, gets imbued into this object through contact, and then you can kind of um, extract it through contact yourself. So a lot of people, um, for instance, would not feel comfortable wearing a sweater that a serial killer had worn, even if it had been completely washed and sterilized. There's just something sort of non-physical or, or magical about that sweater that that makes people feel weird about it. Bad vibes. Bad vibes yeah, in that sweater. Vibes. Yeah, right. You know, one, one of the examples you give that I really loved, since I'm surrounded by people who are golfers, is the study where the golfers made 38% more golf putts when they were told the putter belonged to a PGA player, I think it was Ben Curtis, as opposed to being yeah. told, oh, it just belongs to the club. I mean, that's very interesting yeah. in terms of when I think it belongs to a pro, may, maybe, Matt, I, what could it be? I start relaxing, I have more confidence, and maybe I actually play a little better. Yeah, so if you think that um, a pro golfer used it, then you might think that somehow his skill or expertise had transferred into the club, and then you can now take advantage of the, that magical skill in the club and it gives you more confidence and then that confidence can actually make you better at, at certain tasks. It's so very it's so very interesting. Um, let's move to our second magical um, thinking law, which is symbols have power. Yeah, so 
Um, if something resembles something else, then we feel like there's some sort of connection between the two things. So this is why voodoo dolls are used. Mm. Um, even if the, even if there's no contact. So the first law was about contagion and contact. And this one is more about similarity and resemblance. So if a voodoo doll, you know, it's shaped like a person and you can sort of assign it to be, to represent some other person. Um, and then use it uh, to exact revenge on that person. Um, so more, some more everyday research showed that people don't want to um, like tear up a photograph of you know, someone they love or, or an object that they care about. Um, or if they're playing darts and you put a picture of a baby on the dartboard, they become less accurate. Even if they say that, oh, it's just a picture, uh, they implicitly somehow believe that harming the photo of the baby will will harm a baby. Um, That is so so interesting. Yeah, and this also, I think, covers uh, lucky numbers uh, and names and things like that. So a number can represent something else. Uh, It might represent your your birthday, for instance, um, or the number 13. Some people say that that became unlucky because there were 13 um, people at the, the Last Supper before Jesus was crucified. Um, so there's anything that has any kind of symbolism through you know, association or similarity, we feel like it has some sort of power on the world. Well, um, well definitely. Well, definitely you hear when couples are starting to talk about names of a baby and someone will say, I want to name the baby Karen. Oh, no, we cannot use Karen. There was once a Karen so that it definitely gets played out with names. There's also something you gave an example, and I realize I do this. Um, you, it, you you called it part of Wickham wisdom. And I've done, I've done workshops where I've asked people who've had a traumatic event to write down something negative that they felt like they were carrying with them on a piece of paper. And then we've passed around this mini garbage can. And the idea is we are going to literally dispose of these negative feelings. And I know there's even metaphor therapy that does a similar thing. Um, But the whole action of it is often relieving. And I'm not um, it's interesting how I'm inviting them to do it, and everyone's participating, and we're all seeing it as an action that has some power. Yeah, it's because we we often think in metaphors. Um, you can see that in, in the way we use language, um, but it also represents how we think on a very deep level. So, um, like trashing an idea or trashing a thought, um, those aren't just words. If you... You know, write down some negative thought on a piece of paper and trash it. Um, somehow you actually feel like the, the thing on the paper um, has been trashed, not just the actual paper, but, you know, the, the idea has been discarded. Uh, and there's research showing that that actually helps people resolve uh, certain anxieties. Mm-hmm. I could understand it. One other thing you said that was so interesting was the example of, of symbolically doing something, actually ma- meaning something, is you talked about gamblers, if they want a higher number, there's some illusion if they throw the uh-huh. dice harder, they're going to yeah. get that higher number? Yeah, it's it, as if the the force of the throw uh, is somehow connected with the the size of the result. Um, so if you throw the dice harder, you'll get a bigger number. Um, so right. that's another sort of, there's a symbolism or a metaphor there. 
And I guess in terms of, uh, um, we could move right into superstitions, actions having a a distant consequence. I guess if that happened just enough time, I'd start to believe it's definitely true. I want a higher number. I'm going to throw it harder. Yeah. Um, or not, def- maybe not definitely true, but possibly true. You know, there might be mm-hmm. some sort of association there. Um, mm. So a lot of the, the reason that we believe in luck is not through contagion and not through symbolism, but just through pure uh, association. So if you happen to wear a, a certain T-shirt or a tie or, uh, or a hat on a certain day and, and good things happen when you wear that article of clothing, uh, you'll make the association and you'll feel that that thing is, is lucky or bad things, you'll see it as unlucky. Um, so we see, we're, we look for ways to manipulate luck because um, a big motivation for magical thinking is the desire for control over the world. We feel anxious when we can't control things or we can't predict things. So we're always looking for patterns and ways to use those patterns to, to influence our environment or our lives or, or the things around us. One of um, these sections. Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, Matt. Um, uh, so uh, just to finish up, we so we look for associations and ways to control the world through through luck by using lucky charms and things like that. One of the very interesting parts of of the book was your discussion, and I wouldn't have thought it. You said the most dangerous profession is commercial fishermen. And you talked right. about that that Discovery Channel show um, where I deadliest guess they, catch. yes, the deadliest catch is it called? Yeah. And you you maybe talk a little because I guess if you're in a situation where you don't have that much control in terms of uh, the sea, the water, the weather, etc., you said these people, these folks are really using superstitions as a way as you suggested before, to maybe dampen down the level of anxiety. Yeah. So commercial fishing is, by some statistics, the most deadly profession in the country. Um, And I think it's no coincidence that uh, sailors are some of the most superstitious people. Um, There's all this lore going back centuries um, of certain good luck rituals or taboos or things that that people do at sea, um, like don't bring a banana on board, for instance. Um, and, uh, and I think that's a way to try to tame the uncertainty and, and the risk. Um, so there's research showing that when people feel anxious or out of control, they're more likely to see patterns in, in random noise or they're uh, more likely to believe in conspiracy theories or mm. um, to, to rely on uh, superstitions and, and magical thinking. One of uh, at one point, my husband um, had some work to do at Gonzaga, the university uh, in Spokane, and um, they gave him tickets to the basketball game. He thought this was a wonderful thing. What he did not know is that he had to wear a certain red shirt. So when he got there to see the game, they said, "You can't go in." because you cannot jinx the whole team with the shirt you're wearing. And he was like, oh, my God, okay. So there was no way you were getting in there without the red shirt, which, of course, he purchased mm-hmm. and wore. But it was pretty clear that one of the ways that this school was going to try to do their best um, and not tempt fate was they were going to wear those red shirts. 
Mm. Yeah, um, any little edge you can get. It's sort of better safe than sorry. Um, you know, there's maybe no harm. Well, for him, he had to he had to purchase a shirt. But um, once you form these associations, it's you figure why why tempt fate when you can just you know keep doing what you're doing and, and hope for the best. Well, I started to think of that idea of why tempt fate, and I wondered if there's another dynamic. So, you know, if you're trying to get into the school of your choice, let's make it Michigan State, and you would never wear that sweatshirt, or most people would say, don't wear that sweatshirt until you get in. And I'm thinking, well, let's think what happens. So if I get in, great, I wear the sweatshirt. But if I don't get in and I was wearing it a head mat, now I have an additional problem. Not only did I not get yeah. in, I feel like I jinxed myself. Yeah. Um, so that's, there's some research on believing in jinxes and tempting fate. Um, and one idea is that uh, the idea of wearing the sweatshirt and not getting in um, seems especially, that seems like it would sting a lot more than not wearing it and, and not getting in, for instance. And we're, our attention is drawn to negative possibilities. Um, and then there's another sort of mental rule of thumb, which is that when, we, when something seems especially salient or, or prominent, um, it also seems more likely. So this is why people are so scared of, of flying, because when there's a plane crash, it gets uh, lots of news, and then all that attention makes it seem you know, more likely than, say, car crashes. So mm. wearing the sweatshirt and not getting in, uh, it seems really, you know, that would be really crummy. So it, we tend to, you know, focus on that. And then since we focus on it, it seems more likely. Um, and therefore, we feel like wearing the sweatshirt would actually cause it to not get in, in to be more likely. Mm. Um, so there's just a sort of like string of, um, of mental leaps that we make just automatically. Uh, and that helps explain why we, you know, on a gr- on a cloudy day, you think that if you go out without an umbrella, then it's going to rain on you. It's because that possibility would be bad, and then it draws your attention, and you think it's more likely mm. as a result. Absolutely. So you're really suggesting, I think this is probably true in many of these rules, there's a selective focus uh, yeah. In terms of what we yeah. gather as evidence, like someone told me yesterday, I was in a in a in a place, and she said, "You know, Sue, they knew I was going to do the show." And she said, "Oh, I just want you to know that if I think of a customer who hasn't come in, wouldn't you know it? That person comes in the next day." And another mm-hmm. person there said, "Really?" <laughs> and you know, the question I said, "Well, could it be that when you do think of people and they don't show up, that?" It goes into, you know, the air and you never think about it again. But it's very interesting how we all confirm our rituals and our beliefs with selective attention. Yeah, that's that's a big part of it. People see coincidences everywhere. Um, And that's partly because the when things line up like that, they stand out. Like if you think of someone and then you come across that person the next day, it draws your attention. Um, But all the times when you think about someone and you don't run into that person the next day, you don't even notice that. Um, And so those kind of fade into the background. 
I think it's really so true. We're going to take a break. Um, You've been listening to Psych Up Live, and we're talking about magical thinking. We're here with science writer Matt Hudson. He's the author of The Seven Laws of Magical Thinking, How Irrational Beliefs Keep Us Happy, Healthy, and Sane. Stay with us. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. If you want to stay on the cutting edge of the bioeconomy, tune into TerraTech with host Jim Lane. Every day, new and substantial products are in our lives. What we wear, eat, and drink in our travels and in our health. TerraTech will spotlight these products and show you where and how they are being used. Listen for TerraTech live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Join the innovators and the innovations and move forward. Where can you learn about EasyWayPromotions.com's social media marketing, brand positioning, and more? Easy Talk Live. Where can you get tuned into celebrities in the business world? Easy Talk Live. Where can you learn about entrepreneurment? Easy Talk Live. Every week, host Eric EZ Zuli and his celebrity friends talk about global causes, offer tips and tricks that you can use right now on social media, and give you the chance to promote your projects on Easy Talk Live. Every Saturday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Where are you getting your advice on buying, selling, or maintaining your most important asset, your home? Is it from a reality show on cable TV, a comparison website, or are you just flying by the seat of your pants and gut instinct? Stop now before you make another move. Tune into Real Real Estate Today with host and realtor Deb Tomorrow. You can't afford to play guesswork when it comes to your new or existing home. Listen every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're talking about magical thinking with Matt Hudson. He's the author of The Seven Laws of Magical Thinking. Matt, we are up to number four, and you call number four the mind knows no bounds, mind over matter. And you talk particularly about awe, this peak experience. You describe at one point that so many astronauts come back with a whole religious experience a new world view. Can you talk about that? Sure. Um, so before I jump into all, I'll just explain um, the, the magical thinking of the mind knows, knows no bounds a little bit. Um, so it's the idea that 
the mind isn't just contained within the head, uh, and it kind of seeps out into the world, or it can connect with other things, um, and it can act on the world through psychokinesis, sort of mind over matter, um, and the law of attraction, and that sort of thing, um, or it can receive things from, from far away or from the future through uh, ESP or, or telepathy. Um, and so these are, are magical ways of thinking. And then somewhat related is the, the idea of awe, um, the sort of, uh, the sense that, um, well, so some psychologists define awe as a, uh, the experiencing of something that seems really large in terms of size or importance or beauty um, that you can't quite fit into your current worldview. Uh, so it's a little bit overwhelming and a little bit confusing and, and sublime. Um, and there's some research showing that the feeling of awe, whether you're looking at nature videos or watching birth um, or looking at, at pictures of galaxies, um, it creates a sense of awe, which then leads people to feel more connected to nature or to the rest of humanity. Um, so in a sense, that's... Um, it's kind of um, feeling like your your mind is you know expanding to connect with other things. That so, whole like, go ahead, Matt. Go ahead. Uh, so I just wanted to make the distinction that awe in itself is not magical thinking. Um, it's just sort of an an emotion, basically, this feeling that you get when you see something um, really overwhelming. But it can lead to magical thinking, and sometimes it makes people more spiritual. They they take this sense of oneness um, and think that, oh, maybe the mind really is connected to all these things, and maybe consciousness really does run throughout the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, so on itself is not magical, magical thinking, but it can lead to magical thinking. Okay. You know, let's go back a moment. and Well, let me just say this. I think when people do have a peak experience or a sense of awe, it really does help them to think there's more than just my little problem. Look at this vastness or look at the magic of nature. And in so doing, that can be something that once you're mindful in it about can be restorative or to offer, offer a sense of hope sometimes. So, I mean, I think that's why at times we invite people to think beyond themselves to these really peak experiences if they can have them or join in with nature in that way. Now, one of the things you mentioned before is the idea of the belief in the power of the mind. And you mentioned in the book this whole idea that there was that book on the secret. And that sort of suggested if I want green dance shoes and I think Mm -hmm. and really think about it strongly and believe in it, there's a very good chance I'm going to end up with green dance shoes. Now, tell us what you make of that. Um, I think it's it's silly and possibly dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea is just picture some outcome and then your thoughts magically go out into the world uh, like energy beams and, and they bring that thing to you. They sort of attract that outcome to you. Um, and it's a, it's a kind of wishful thinking that, you know, might provide people with optimism, but then it also, you know, if you just rely on on the law of attraction, on wishful thinking, then you might not actually pursue those goals. 
you might just sit there and wait for the thing to come to you. Um, and another another danger is that it, you think that you might think that all outcomes are a result of people's thoughts, which can lead to blaming the victim. So if th- something bad happens to someone, you might think, mm. well, that person just wasn't thinking right. Um, that person attracted that negative outcome to, to himself or herself. Um, there is research on um, a different kind of, of positive thinking that actually is productive. So instead of just focusing on some positive outcome that you want, if you focus on the difference between that outcome and your current state, and then what it will take to get to that outcome, like what stands between you and that that outcome, then that actually makes people more motivated and more focused on taking the necessary steps to reach that that outcome that they want. That is great. It touches on um, the difference between realistic optimism and optimism because what you just right. said is 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 great once you once you take a closer look at what you need to get to be able to run that race there's a good chance you're going to start training and then with an optimistic attitude if you hurt your foot you figure it'll heal in time but just picturing yourself running through the finish line at the marathon i don't think it's going to do it yeah if you just picture the standing on the pedestal, um, <laughs> to some degree, that'll satisfy your desire. You'll feel a little bit like you actually already achieved that by picturing that vividly. So you have to picture what stands between you and the pedestal and picture yourself running hard, training to get there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a great distinction. Now, when we get to your next magical um, law, law of magical thinking, you talk about our belief that the soul lives on. Yeah. Maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so people are um, dualistic. We feel like there's mind and matter, and they're they're completely separate. So the the soul is the mind, and it can uh, kind of lives in the head. But once the the body dies, and it kind of escapes the head, escapes the brain, and it can live on um, in this afterlife. And so people believe in ghosts, or they believe in heaven or the afterlife or reincarnation. Um, and it's, it's very intuitive for us to, to think this way. Um, it, partly because we can't imagine our own death. If you picture, if you ask someone to, to imagine being dead, they'll imagine like sort of being in a dark space and looking around and saying, wow, death is really boring or, or they'll picture themselves in heaven or something. Um, but you won't actually experience death, so you can't really you picture it at all. It's, it's impossible. Um, and also, when people around us die, we maintain the representation of that person in our, in our heads. Mm-hmm. So it kind of feels like the person is still there. You might still continue to have mental conversations with the person um, or think, what would this, what would this person do, and, and seek advice from this person. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's hard to imagine that life just ends and that's it. Um, and I think there's also the factor of uh, the sense we have of free will. So I think free will is a form of magical thinking, believing that the mind, um, that consciousness controls the body. Um, I think consciousness is a, a side effect of what the brain does. It kind of emerges, but I don't think it on its own can tell atoms 
what to do and say, like, no, don't obey the laws of physics. Do what I want you to do. Um, and since we have this sense that free will exists, that consciousness can control a matter in the brain, um, we might think that consciousness can, is actually independent and can, can exist independently of the brain. Um, and so even if the brain dies, it will just continue to go on. It seems that it, our need to do this um, really works to our advantage if we see it in a positive light. And you do mention in your chapter how uh, our awareness of mortality and death makes life precious. And so yeah. how we control our panic about that and how we accept it, you know, forces certain beliefs that, if they're positive, probably work to our advantage. Um, and I think that's that's why so many people see spirituality often as a resilience in the aftermath of the unknowable and in terms of handling what seems like something they could never have imagined but they've had to face. So, I mean, it's a good example of how our thinking tips us into certain places that we simply may need. Now, maybe that fits a little bit with your next, which is the world is alive. And we treat everything or many things like they're people. Yeah. Um, so this is called anthropomorphism. Um, you project human-like qualities onto non-human things. So it could be an, an inanimate object, like people, you, know, you might yell at your laptop when it crashes um, as if it you know, deserves your anger as if it was trying to piss you off. Um, or even pets. In pets, they, they are alive um, and they might have some um, element of consciousness, but they're definitely not people. And yet we treat them often as if they are, you know, people and family members and that they feel the full range and depth of emotions that we do. Um, and so this is kind of, um, we have a, a tendency to, to treat things around us socially since we're very social creatures and, and we kind of assume that they think as we do, um, even if it's just a rock or the universe um, or a robot. Um, so there's a lot of you know, technology that has some, that sort of apes humans to some degree that it might have a face or it might use language that really triggers our anthropomorphism. Um, and so, for instance, there's a, a therapy bot that I, I witnessed and I held. It's, it's shaped like a stuffed uh, baby seal. It's this cute white creature. And it's used in hospitals and VA clinics and, and places where you can't really bring actual animals for, for health reasons. Um, but if you give this robotic seal to people and they hold it, it can be very therapeutic. Uh, they feel comforted and it might help them recover better. Um, so that is one benefit to this type of magical thinking of, of treating the world as if it's alive. Actually, I, I loved the fa- that experiment because you, you were describing how the, when you interviewed the, uh, the nurse or the therapist, she said, I, I, I don't think it's magic. What's magic is that it bridged the person from talking to the robot into talking to me. So yeah. certainly the yeah. person knew very clearly the distinction, but I even think uh, you mentioned a study and I began to think of it work because I had a mom who would say, don't treat my plants so rough. 
treat them <laughs> gently. So she, you know, her plants were, 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 I guess, little extensions of her. And you did a study, and I had seen it in other con- other contexts, in which seniors were told you can you can arrange any furniture your way as opposed to another group. We, we're going to take care of you. You don't have to do anything. And the group that was told to take care of the plant uh, as well as take care of their environment um, did so much better. And I've, I've seen it described for various reasons. You used it to say when we give people a sense of control, um, mm. their anxiety drops, they, they bloom, they do better. Someone else said when you give people a sense of purpose, they live longer. But I also wondered if they developed a relationship with that plant um, of the type we're talking about here. The way mm. people people have relationships with their cars, They'll talk about, remember the Maverick, the way the car was like a part of the family. They uh-huh. pass it down as part yeah. of their will. So I really think this is such an interesting, and ver- I mean, I think everybody uses this. We do, because we see minds in other people, we see minds in everyone else, in everything else. Yeah, yeah. Um, one one, one man was... automatic tendency we have. Yeah, one man was told... If you really want to capture this piece of classical music, you have to make love to the keys. And that was, you know, the invitation. It has to be treated like a person. So I think it might serve us well in that we we actually, um, from pets to pianos, we actually do, you know, this anthropomorphism on the things around us. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it It's maybe not always productive, but there are cases in which it can be and it can uh, prevent loneliness and, and help us um, come out of our shells. Well, give us a quick one. Where would you worry about this? Where have we gone? When have we gone too far, Matt, on this? Um, so if you treat, for instance, your computer as if it had a personality, then um, that leads to anger at it and you might then... Um, you know, hit it or or treat it badly when really it's just a inanimate thing, and what you really need to do is is fix it. Um, so it might lead to blaming things more than they should be blamed, or or pets, for instance. Um, a lot of the time, they're just you know doing what animals do, but we might think that oh, you should know better, and you're just doing this to to you know to be a pain, and why are you like angering me like this? Whereas uh, and it might lead to abusing the animal or yelling at it, or which might not be productive. Um, Those are so, great examples. <laughs> People do throw cell phones. They fight with Siri on the phone. Someone told me he knows how to get Siri to do better than she does by saying nice words. I mean, I actually think these are great examples. The reverse, and certainly um, pets and other and refrigerators and cars. When you're really desperate, sometimes people do take their anger out on these objects. So it's very, those are, those are really good examples. We're going to have to take a break. You've been listening to Psych Up. We're talking about magical thinking with science writer Matt Hudson. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts, we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Why? Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. Follow the movement. Meet guests who are shaking things up. Call in and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Beth Green and James Maynard, Inner Revolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Listening to Psych Up Live. Join in our conversation today by calling Dr. Suzanne Phillips or her guest at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Now back to Psych Up Live. Welcome back to Psych Up Live. We're speaking about magical thinking. We've gone through many steps and laws of magical thinking, and we're here with Matt Hudson, author and science writer. Matt, your seventh law of magical thinking is everything happens for a reason. How yeah. does this help? How does it help us to believe this? Well, so the belief that everything happens for a reason, this. Uh, this covers belief in destiny and karma and divine provenance um, and the idea that God is, is causing things to, to happen. Um, uh, and people often say, oh, it was meant to be, for instance. And it's a way of finding meaning in life, of taking random events and telling a story out of it. Um, and so I mentioned before that one of the big motivators for magical thinking and, and benefits is uh, the sense of control. Uh, and the second big one is the sense of meaning in life. Uh, and so there's some evidence suggesting that uh, when something bad happens to you, if you see it as part of a loving God's plan um, or if you see it as meant to be somehow, 
then it helps you recover. Uh, it helps you deal with it better. It helps you cope. Uh, because then you think, oh, there must be a silver lining here. I'm going to look for that silver lining. And you end up creating that silver lining uh, and, and moving on. So that is one of the, um, one of the benefits. Mm. One of the, some of the beautiful examples you gave of this is the way it helped adoptive parents, parents who could not have their own children, um, consider how does it happen that this baby was meant for me? And yeah. in so doing, as you write, it helps people deal with loss to avoid the negative associated with that, the mourning and grieving associated with that. And puts a positive sort of frame around the life event they've just in, become involved with. Yeah. So I, I talked to uh, a lot of adoptive parents for this chapter. And um, a lot of people adopt because they find out that one or, or both um, parents can't have kids. And if you find out that you're infertile, that can be really devastating for people. Um, mm. For, for a lot of parents, that's just a traumatic thing because you feel like you're put on this earth to create life. And if you can't create life, then what are you doing here? Um, but then a lot of parents do end up adopting and they just immediately fall in love with their adoptive kids. Mm-hmm. And they look back on that traumatic um, factor in their life and somehow they turn it into a blessing. And they say, well, wow, this this thing that I thought was terrible, this is what led me to this new child who I'm now in love with. Um, and so they, they treat the whole series of events as somehow planned out, as meant to be. Like that previous bad thing had to happen for this later good thing to happen. Um, mm. And therefore, it, it must have been part of a plan. It's, it's, a, it's very, very powerful the way you describe it. And uh, um, I guess the... So much we need to um, feel this rhyme or reason to the lives that we live. Um, the other thing that you say in this chapter is uh, the association with feeling lucky with actually feeling grateful. And we know in terms of positive psychology, feeling grateful is not a bad thing. Right. Yeah, so if something good happens to you, if you see it as, as the universe giving you a gift of some kind or, or God... Um, or even if you don't picture some divine entity and you just feel this sort of general sense of gratitude of, of receiving something that, um, that you didn't create, um, that can be beneficial. Um, so there's some research showing that if people each night before they go to bed, they write, just write down the things that happened that day that they're grateful for, that that can improve well-being. Mm, I think so. Um I want us to have enough time. I want our listeners to know the book, this, Matt's book is really beautifully written and is packed with the most interesting details. Um, so I wondered if you could really read your your kind of one of your final statements about magical thinking and what it does for us, for our listeners. Sure. So here's a, a piece that, uh, a couple paragraphs that, um, you know, that you stood, stood out for you and you uh, wanted to highlight. Um, so, magical thinking connects us simultaneously to the familiar, the unknown, and the unknowable. It allows us to see depth in the here and now, to form meaningful stories of our lives, 
to connect people and events in romantic and resonant ways. It also engages our imaginations about what forces swarm around us and what potentials lie within us. Stories of wizards and superpowers are, at heart, not far-off fantasies, but aspirational tales. It presents a world full of untapped wonder, waiting for exploration and exploitation. Magical thinking both grounds us and keeps us buoyant. Whether magic exists or not, magical thinking got us to where we are, and, for better or for worse, it will take us to where we're going. We can no sooner escape it than we could escape consciousness. We think, therefore, we think magically. Oh, it's beautiful. And it really says so much of what you share in the book. Now, Matt, how could our listeners find your wonderful blogs and this book? What websites could they go to? How could they find you? Sure. Um, if you go to magicalthinkingbook.com, um, that has some of my blog posts. It has links to the Amazon page to purchase the book. has a link to uh, my Twitter account um, and my Facebook account. Um, has my email address on there. So it's magicalthinkingbook.com. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, so we went through all these seven laws, and you just really read that beautiful piece that's in your book. So if we, if you had to give us a take-home message that people might sort of take from the show and even find useful, what, what do you want to say to our people about magical thinking? What, what should we take from this? I would say that um, it's possible to rationally use irrationality. So mm-hmm. magical thinking is a form of irrationality, but it has certain benefits sometimes when used correctly. Um, it can lead to a sense of control and it can lead to a sense of meaning. Um, so I would be, I would think critically about the existence of magic, um, and whether you're just, you know, seeing things out there that aren't really there. Um, but then even if you think that these beliefs are, are not real, um, you can still learn to take advantage of them to, you know, wear a lucky shirt if it will improve your performance or to tell a story out of your life if it creates a sense of meaning. Um, so even if these things are illusions, they can be positive illusions uh, if used constructively. It's so interesting when you talk about are these necessary illusions. At one place in the book I want to share, you say the fishermen think, if I think and say it's going to be a good day with a lot of fish today, that's not good. That could jinx us. <laughs> if I say it's a bad day, uh, we're not going to have a good run. That's not good. That could jinx us. And then you said there's only one solution. You got to start knocking on wood, and it, which means somewhere you got to find a necessary illusion to kind of grab. Matt, did it change your way of feeling or living in this world, writing this book and doing all the research connected with it? I would say that it increased my appreciation or, or tolerance of. Um, ways of thinking that for a long time I kind of dismissed or looked down on. So I became an atheist when I was a kid and immediately started arguing with people who, you know, people in my family who continued to believe in God, saying that it was, and I would say that it was silly. Um, but now I have a, 
kind of a new appreciation for it and seeing that it's just part of, of human nature um, and a part of us that shouldn't necessarily be dismissed and, and there is some potential there um, for growth. Terrific. Matt, I want to thank you for a wonderful book, The Seven Laws of Magical Thinking, How Irrational Beliefs Keep Us Happy, Healthy, and Sane. Thank you so much for giving us this look and explaining why we just may need magic. I want to thank my listeners. You can hear this in any prior show by this evening at 7 Eastern Time. Matt's show will be a podcast, a permanent podcast on my site, the I, on the app, um, podcast app of your iPhone, on iTunes. It'll eventually be on Matt's site. It'll be on the Voice America site, Sketcher, many of the sites. Remember to drop me a comment or a question at radiohostphillips at gmail.com. Until next week, mostly, please take care. Thanks and be listening. Thank you for tuning in to Psych Up Live. Please join Dr. Suzanne Phillips for another edition of our programming next Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll talk more next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 